Clippers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Tuesday, January 12th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Yeah, this is a Tuesday edition, and we did an episode yesterday. So what does that mean? All right, you tired of uh, guessing? Well, it means that Flyers Daily is now back to being Flyers Daily. We're doing shows every day. Uh, 56 games in 116 days. That'll start tomorrow, and we'll have Claude Giroux on tomorrow's episode. But but we are back to daily, and we are going to go this way through the entire season, whenever that is. If that ends in late May, or if that ends in June, or we're all hoping it ends no later than July 10th, and maybe July 10th, which will be the last gay day the Stanley Cup could be handed out in this 2021 season. In this episode, Bill Meltzer is going to join us. we got a lot to go through. We're going to talk about, we're going to look at this 56-game schedule. We're going to look at the roster, who was placed on waivers and who got through waivers and how this whole thing lays out. We're going to look at the depth of this team, the things that matter when it comes to success this regular season for the Philadelphia Flyers. And we're going to break down the orange versus white scrimmage, which took place at the Wells Fargo Center on Sunday evening. And joining us right now on this episode of Flyers Daily from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, it's Bill Meltzer who joins us. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. The, uh, the sprint is on. Yeah, we're here. It's uh, It almost feels surreal that we're at this eve of the season and it's all ready to start. How many times conversations do we have about, are they going to get the return to play done? How are they going to defer the money is it going to be escrow and all these yeah. things but you know what none of that even matters anymore right oh no now now it's you know now it's time to talk about about hockey the roster the season all all, all the good stuff all the stuff you, you're waiting to happen so it's you know it's much belated but you know opening night is one of you know, my, my favorite nights of the whole calendar you know it is mine too because it's uh, it is Christmas and it's a bunch of holidays wrapped into one because yeah. it also is the runway. It's what you know. It it's not just about opening night. It's about the fact that you have the sport for six, seven, eight months coming too, which is the great thing about it. No, ab- absolutely. You know, and and it's uh, I mean because you speculate all the way up to opening night, and you know, it, it's uh, I mean it's particularly with all these back to back games against teams and the, the whole dimension that that adds. You know, it's uh, it's going to be really, really interesting. You know, like if, if the Flyers were to win both games against Pittsburgh, you know, it's cup fever yeah. instant. And, and if you know if the Flyers were to to not win or to lose to lose both of those games, then all of a sudden, you know, people overreact to that too. So it's uh, you know just just all par for the course. But it, it's all it's all good stuff. You know, Bill. Before we get to this season, let's first go back because I've heard it mentioned by several players, and Claude Giroux will be on tomorrow's episode and. And just, I already taped that interview for everybody that knows. That's the magic of a podcast. But, um, and one of the things I asked him about was the way last season ended and that game seven against uh, the New York Islanders. We know they got down in the series and they battled it back just to get it to a game seven. And maybe they exhausted a lot of their emotional energy just to get it to seven. Uh, but nobody liked how it ended. Travis Konechny mentioned it and he said, I let it hurt. I, I, you know, I wanted to feel it. Kevin Hayes has talked about it. Um, Claude Giroux talked about it. Sean Couturier, Jake Voracek. Lane Vigneault the other day said, you know, he's really challenging Jake Voracek because it's not about winning one playoff series. Using last year and the pain of last year is important, although you can't reside there any longer. But I imagine, and, and based on what we saw in camp, that I think some players really took it to heart and did maybe push a little harder in this unique offseason to, to make sure that they're not in that situation next year. Yeah, I, I think that when you 
losing a series in seven games, particularly when you're a game away from a conference final. You know, the, in some ways, the deeper you go in the playoffs, the more it stings when, you know, when you do go out. Um, and players question themselves, what more could I have done? You know, was I, uh, you know, whether it's within games or getting ready for the bubble, you know, they have the stamina to last through the, the two series, whatever, whatever it might be, a million things go through their heads. And it's a, uh, it's a miserable feeling. It's a miserable feeling until you're actually the next season starts. And then you focus on the season that's in hand, you know, and then you, uh, you know, you, you go from there. I mean, players very much live in the moment. It's, it's the nature of the athlete, but it's, um, but it, I, I mean, I think that's a good thing that, uh, you know, that, that's part of the experience of a team anyway. Very few teams win in their first kick of the can. And I think that it's, uh, you know, for, for this, for a large part of this group, you know, the uh, the Travis Sanheims, the Phil Myers, you know, those guys. Um, you know, Farabee obviously was a rookie. I mean, for those players, it was really their first time experiencing any of this. So it's a Carter Hart's another one. You know, I, I think for that group, going, going through the experience of winning a series and then losing in seven, I, I think that, um, you know, I think that's a very valuable experience. And again, I mean, I think, I think it's a good thing that they found a little bit of, a little bit of that, a little bit of that hurt and that pain to help motivate them to, to get ready for this year. Um, yeah. you know, the I'm champagne sure in Lord Stanley's chalice tastes better when it comes after you had the bitter taste of defeat prior. It's no just no question. Yep. No question. It's, uh, it's incremental, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Bill, you know, one of the things, and we talked about it leading up to the camp, and we're kind of looking at storylines, right? And you were writing about them, some great storylines and angles about this camp. And, and I think we all knew that Nolan Patrick would be a storyline and, and a very intriguing one because, and we've talked about it, um, the trickle-down effect of if he is healthy or if he's not healthy, what it does for this team in slotting and, and their depth if he's healthy or if he's not healthy. Frankly, what we've seen in this camp, I think, is, first of all, that Nolan Patrick is the number one storyline, and it's for all the right reasons. He, um, look, maybe it's, we haven't seen him play in a long time and you forget the certain skill set that he possessed, even though his first two years in the NHL weren't wildly successful. But where he looks as a player right now uh, looks leaps and bounds from where he was when he left us uh, two years ago and that last game in April of 2019. And his, his play looks tremendous. And to couple that with every player, veteran player, young player, I talked to Eric Gustafson about it. What's the, you know, who has surprised you in this camp? And he's, they didn't even hesitate. It was Nolan Patrick. This guy has not only wowed the fan base, the media, but he's wowed his teammates as well. And he has become the number one storyline out of this training camp. No, no question. I mean, you start with, uh, you know, you start with the fact that he's in tremendous physical condition. You can see on the ice. Yep. He's not blowing at all. Not, not, not at all. And, um, you know, the, just, just how engaged he was in the scrimmages, you know, and the number of plays he was making, high skill plays that he was making look easy, yeah. you know, um, and it was you know, nice for him to get a goal in the, the inner squad game. You know, you know, you don't really worry too much about. You know, there are no statistics, not even the preseason, but you, but for a player to go into the season looking like that, I mean, now all of a sudden the Flyers really do look truly deep down the middle. The one, two, three punch. As long, even you know, as long, yeah. <laughs> And one, two, three, four, yeah, because with, because Lawton is, you know, yeah. Lawton is one of the best fourth line centers in the league. I mean, just uh, just up and down the lineup. I mean, you had guys who had good camps. You know, I'm thinking Morgan Frost, for example. If there was a, you know, in most in most camps and in other groups, he would have he would be opening on the opening night roster. We don't know if he is or isn't because we, as we're as we're having this conversation, the 
you know, the, uh, those determinations haven't been announced yet, but I, I don't think it's likely he's going to be in the starting 12, even if he is, if he does make the team, but it wasn't everything he did. I thought he had his best NHL camp today. I thought, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, guys, you know, Sam Moran had a, had a good camp for a guy who was injured for so long and changing position. So, um, you know, young guys like, like Zade wisdom. I really think a lot of guys really impressed in this camp and that's, uh, you know, that's good for the short term in terms of internal competition. And it's good for the big picture, too, as well, because, they're, you know, they're going to be injuries. And obviously, you know, you have a, a long term future to consider as well. So, you know, there were there were a few injuries in camp and whatnot. Um, we're still waiting to find out what Shane Goss's bear status is. But I think I think all in all, for especially for such a short camp, it was a, it was a really good camp. Yeah, maybe the only kind of, you know, kind of bummer about the camp is that Ghost didn't make it through all the way. He's deemed unfit to play. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get a chance to get a look at Tanner Lashinsky and got a limited look at Wade Allison. Uh, and Isaac Ratcliffe, obviously, is out as well. But uh, Lashinsky's a guy that you and I have talked about. Maybe he could have, could have pushed for a spot on this roster. So when it's all said and done, Bill, um, and Lane Vigneault does make that top 12 forwards, um, I, I think we feel really good about knowing who the top line is with Sean Couturier, Oscar Lindblom, and Travis Konechny, a reunited uh, line from early last season that had a tremendous amount of success. I'm ex- so excited about that line. It's fresh feeling, too, by the way, which I think is awesome. Uh, and then the second line, and we saw it strike twice early in the scrimmage on Sunday with Kevin Hayes centering Claude Giroux and Joel, Joel Farabee. And I think every player gains something with that combination. And then the third line... Uh, we're looking at, I guess, Nolan Patrick in the middle of James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek. And also, you have a, you have a 65 to 75 point uh, player in Jake Voracek at his peak, you know, in an 82 game schedule that is now playing on your third line with a guy in James Van Riemsdyk who has scored 30 in this league repeatedly, uh, coming off a bit of a down year last year, and then and a, and a talent like Nolan Patrick, and then your third line or fourth line rather is Scott Lawton, who led your team in scoring in the playoffs, by the way, former first round pick. Uh, with Michael Roffel and Nicholas Aubé-Kubel. I mean, that's depth personified at your forward position. Yeah, one, one through 12. You know, that's, yeah. uh, you know, again, there are bound to be injuries and whatnot. I mean, but the pieces fit together, too. It's not just a collection of yeah. games. Great point. You know, uh, they have two-way players. They have, uh, you know, they have some some bigger body guys. They have, you know, they have guys put put the puck in the net. They have playmakers. And guys will go in the corner and dig pucks out and battle. Um, they have, you know, guys with experience and, and penalty killing and, you know, two pretty good power play units, too, uh, in the up front group. Um, you know, in, in terms of in terms of forward depth, I mean, I think the Flyers, you know, it's it's hard to say the Flyers are anything other than a contender based on that, that one through 12 group because it, it's really, really good. It's one of the best one through 12 groups the Flyers have gone into in a season quite a long time, actually. Yeah. You're going back in probably to the late nineties to, to even yeah. something comparable. The, the other thing too, is on every line, you have a good, really good 200 foot player Correct. and you have a really good offensive player on every line too, to, to be able to get, to be able to throw uh, every line out that has the ability to score. We saw this, the scoring get spread out last year and Tyler Pitlick was a part of that at points and Nicholas Albe Kubel at points and whether it, it was all over the lineup. Uh, but now you have, skilled lines that can score but can also check you as well it, it's a matchup nightmare for opposition um i don't want to overstate it i mean this is just from camp and everything but the, uh, it's pretty impressive um bill the scrimmage uh, the orange white scrimmage um it, it was an interesting game to watch um first of all from our vantage point as media you and i were both there uh you were down on the concourse level uh, i was in the press box in the normal radio booth 
I'm usually behind the scenes in the auxiliary locker room for home games. But um, first of all, you're just your impressions of the building while a game was going on, even though it wasn't against uh, an opponent that uh, the Flyers will be scratching and clawing in this Eastern Division uh, to, to make a playoff spot against. It reminded me of, you know, uh, obviously with the, like on a smaller scale, but what they did in the bubble, you know, they had, they had the tarps on the end there. Um, they had, you know, like like the little perch where where uh, where Lauren Hart sang the anthem and where, where Gritty was, and uh, they they you know they're trying to replicate the, the whole in game experience. So that'll be you know people watching at home on TV will see the stands empty, but they have the you know they have the crowd noise. They have they have this, they have that to try to, try to make it more. And but listen, the atmosphere is not going to be the same until the yeah. building is full. The energy just, lacks. It's just they're right. It's just it just is. There, there's no two ways around that. You know, from uh, from where where we were, you know, I mean, it, it's cool where you can, you know, you can hear a little bit of the, you'll hear a little bit of chatter from the bench, you know, um, you know, it's uh, it's not quiet, so you know, it's uh, you know, yeah, you can you hear a little bit of that in the, you know, in the press box too, but it's just it's just different. The closer you are to the ice, you can appreciate the. You know the speed of the play in which it develops. You know, further up you are, and you and I were talking about this. You know, before we went on the air, you can see plays developing more. You know, uh, up uh, up in the press box, it's more clinical up there. You know, yeah. but uh, you you get more of the emotion and the speed and, and all the rest of that and the physicality when you're close to the ice. So that's yeah. uh, uh, for from from our vantage point, that's a great thing. You know, it's uh, what you do. You miss the fans there. You miss the atmosphere and the noise, and you can only replicate that to a certain degree. But for you know, you make the best of the circumstances, and you know, I I think that it's um, you know, I I, I know it was first you know first time I've been back in the building since March, right? So March it's 10th. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it felt uh, yeah, it, it felt wonderful to be back. It also felt a little bit strange. So. Yeah. It, uh, Kind of yeah, like going to the shore in the yeah. uh, winter time. You're used to being going to the beach and seeing all these people, and it's so alive in the energy to it. Yeah. And then when all those people aren't there to experience it with you, it's, there's it's good to be back, but there's also a depressing nature that they're not that the building doesn't have the same heartbeat and energy at that time. No, oh, absolutely. I the, the fans are very conspicuous by not being there because they really are. You know, they really are the sixth skater on the ice so to speak you know it's yeah. uh they're, they're, it, that's so much a part of so much part of the game and and big for the players too Good crowd, they feed off crowd energy absolutely um bill the, the quality of play in the orange versus white now we know there's not real animosity here and we saw players chirping each other and talking and, and it was all in fun and jest right uh, when the penguins are at the wells fargo center on wednesday that won't be the case but the quality of the hockey what did you think of the quality of play I think that as the game went along, you know, I thought that the the play picked up actually significantly, um, you know, uh, and you can even look at individual players. But I just think some of the chemistry of the lines, you know, picked up as the game went along. Uh, Nolan Patrick's line was buzzing that whole second period before they finally scored a goal, you yeah. know, before before Patrick tied up the game. I mean, they were, you know, they were clicking. Uh, I thought Carter Hart, who wasn't, didn't see a whole lot of shots for the game, really. Yeah. But uh, you know, the the second Kevin Hayes goal would be one that was at a real game. You go, eh, no, that you know, that wasn't a good goal. But after that, you know, as hard tends to do, settled right in, and he had some tough saves to make in that third period and stopped a breakaway and a uh, and a penalty shot. And you know, even even if it was White Wiley, but yep. it was still a penalty shot. He made a nice move on the backhand, and 
you know. And then that's the uh, Everett Silver Tips uh, shootout. Yeah, the, the, the Everett connection, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask him if he if he used to try that on him in practice, you know. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, then there was the the nine round shootout. But I'd be lying if I'd say it was a compelling shootout. Yeah. Well, the goalies dominated once again. Yes, yes, they did. Now, now Elliot made a really good save. You know, what mm-hmm. sprawling glove save, and you know, uh, and I think Sandino caught a post. Yeah, but, uh, and Elliot got one with the inside of the, the paddle there too. Yes, yes, he got beat bad, and then laid the paddle down and got just enough of it to angle it wide. Um, yes. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I all things considered, I thought the hockey was good. You're right. The, the Nolan Patrick goal, I thought was, again, he just knows the right places to go. He's just parked in the right spot. And and the first goal of the game was a thing of beauty. Um, the Faraby, Giroux, Classic, Kevin yeah. Hayes. I mean, the passing was precise. Yeah. It, absolutely. Hart had no chance on it because of superior playmaking and passing. It was just boom, 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 in. And it was it was spectacular to watch. And then all said and done, uh, the, the Orange team ends up winning when Roffle finally ends it, uh, taking a page out of the Claude Giroux shootout. Big slapper. On bombing it from the yes. mark. That was great. Elliot's going, what are you trying to impale me here? <laughs> uh, Bill, let, let's talk about the top pair, because that was one of the big storylines, the top pair to play alongside Ivan Provorov. We've seen a number of different players in that position throughout camp, and we've seen Justin Braun there of late. Is is that where you start? I think so, yeah. Uh you know, they, they kept Robert Haig and, uh, and Gustafson together basically all of camp. Um, they have kept Sanheim and Myers together. So with, with uh, you know, with Shane Gossip's fair status un, undetermined at this point, we shall see. Uh, you know, if he if he's unavailable, I think Dustin Braun goes to your goes with, goes with the pair and he'll be, you know, I mean, he won't, he won't give you the offense that, uh, that Niskanen gave you, but he'll give you the PK side of it and the, yep. you know, defensive responsibility and the right-handed job too. So you do keep, you know, you do keep the left, left, right pairing going there and you get to keep, uh, Benheim and Myers together too in the matchups that they play. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I don't know if you want that as your, your long-term all season pairing, but I, I think to start the season that, that, uh, that works. Yeah. It's a good starting point for sure. And then maybe the, the health of Shane Gossespierre could change things because he was uh, practicing alongside Ivan Provorov at points as well. And we'll see if that's an option for Elaine Vigneault. Uh, any uh, surprises for you in regards to the waiver wire? Um, not, not, in, not in terms of the Flyers. You know, I, I think I think we're all pulling for Sam around, but nobody really expected Sam to get a spot on the you know opening night roster just because learning a new position is just two and three quarters years. You know, all those things you, you can – pick off down the line and you know i mean the, the likelihood of him being claimed is minimal just for the same reasons i just said after all the time that he's missed and he's learning to play a new position and he's you know getting his conditioning back and all the rest of that you know a team couldn't claim them and stash him on their uh, on their taxi squad they would have to have a spot from the rennie del roster so you know He'll go clear, and I'm not surprised that, uh, that Mark Friedman. I mean, we can we can pretty safely say that Friedman made the team because he, did, he would have been waiver eligible. He would have placed some waivers today as we're recording this. So uh, I think it's safe to say you know they're going to carry. It looks like they'll carry eight defensemen, assuming they have eight healthy guys going into the year. And you know Friedman's made the team, and they were kind of indicating that in the off season anyway. They thought he was ready for you know to move up to the big club. So you know uh, to me it, it really comes down to who's the 13th forward. And who's in the taxi squad, and who gets AHL assignments, and that'll be, uh, yeah, to me, that that'll be where you know what is to discuss after the fact. I think is that thirteenth board, in your opinion, the most likely candidate going to be Lena Sandin? 
I, I think, you know, I mean, he was a guy that I had um, just, just in that, you know, he's a veteran, yeah. you know, 24 uh, years old, 24 years old, you know, a, a two way guy. He can really, he can move around, you know, he can, can play wherever you need him to play. I uh, can play a fourth line role if, if there's an injury there. Um, in Sweden, you play much higher in the lineup. So that's the kind of player you, you might see there. Or you might see, uh, I think Connor Bunneman has a shot of being the 13th guy too. Yeah. Um, uh, my center can play left wing, you know, can play that bottom six kind of a role. Um, you know, now if there were to be an injury in the top six or even the top nine, then I think Morgan Frost slots in. But I think with every, with going with a healthy forward group, that's going to be that's going to be your 13th forward. Be one of those two guys, Bunneman or, or Sandy. Yeah, that's it's Bunneman's a guy too that they really liked what they saw out of his game last year. Good four checker as well, really can get in on it. Um, you talked about the power play before uh, the PK. You, you feel like everything is they had a good PK year last year, um, and and that was an issue, a weakness for a number of years. Uh, they seem to get it straightened out last year uh, under uh, Mike Yo. It's a, there's a lot of will. It's not necessarily skill when it comes to PK. It's will. And uh, do you think that they'll be remaining strong in that area with the with the assets they have to deploy at the PK? I do. Um, the forward group, you know, other than other than Pitlick is is the same. You know, Pitlick of course is a departure in the last season, but I think the group is the same. You know, Raffle and, and Lawton played together for years. Um, you'll see Couturier kill penalties. Of course, Kevin Hayes was an outstanding penalty killer last year and a shorthanded goal threat too. Yeah. Uh, that I don't I don't see that changing. Oscar Lindbaum will step right back on the PK. Yep. Um, at some point you might see him back on PP two, but he didn't really get any power play time during the preseason. But I think he'll work backwards in all situations guy at some point. But yep. uh yeah, I mean he was he was a real he's also a really good penalty killer. Of course they're missing him from more than half a year. Um they have the ability on uh, a left circle draw to send Katoria out there. They need yep. you know, left circle win. Right circle, they can always send Giroux out. And that's, yeah. a, that's a big asset the Flyers have. They have two of the best face-off guys in the NHL, particularly particularly on their strong sides. And that's uh, that's a big asset. It's just the uh, you know, biggest thing is you know, it comes down to execution, right? The, do, you, do you block the shots you need to block, get the saves you need to get, letting your goalie see the puck, all those things, and getting the clears you need to get. I mean, you know, I, I think that um, – I think a lot of teams, you might see some, you know, I take a little bit of time on special teams, one end or both ends to, to get in sync. Um, you know, I, I think that, but I think that the Flyers will be a good PK team again this year. The, uh, you know, and the power play side of it was that, uh, you know, it actually, they kind of really, in the phase three camp where they went to the bubble, the power play really was not very good. And they yeah. kind of carried right over to the bubble. They really struggled on the yeah. power playing camp. Uh, PP1, I thought, had a, you know, they, they worked in, Power play the last couple of days in camp. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, you know, they were rotating the puck well. Um, they kind of went back to a little bit of that double net front look with, uh, you know, with uh, Konecki is one of the guys actually he's beside the net. And they scored, they scored a, several goals that way, you know, in, in the scrimmage work. So that's uh, – or post-scrimmage work. So, you know, I, I think PP1 will come around. Um, yeah, and TK is, talked about watching a lot of tape of uh, his old teammate Wayne Simmons in that role. Yeah, that, I thought I, I thought that, that was front. interesting, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, I he scored a few goals that last year that way too. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, PP two, well, they had you know they were trying some different personnel out too. Like Faraby was on it, he was off. And sometimes they went two defensemen with Sandheim and, and Gustafson. Gustafson, of course, being new to the team, you know. So PP two was a little bit of a work in progress going into the season. 
But I, I think that it's you know they were actually overall not a bad power play team. The composite numbers are just it just never got never got moving in the playoffs. So yeah, well you talk about that. It's not only that you have depth in players, but you can they they fit and you just mentioned it. You can send out on a PK. Uh, Sean Couturier, the, one of the top three best face-off guys in the league on one side of the ice, and if it's on the other side of the ice, you can send out Claude Giroux, one of the top three face-off guys in the entire NHL. And, and that's when things really fit, when you have a right shot and a left shot, and you can deploy them in that manner as well. That's like a little detail. That's like a big kind of – that's like really going down the rabbit hole, but that means a ton. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that element, winning the draw on a D-zone PK – and if you can have it on one side of the ice and have a top three guy or the other side, it doesn't matter, and have another top three guy on that side, then, I mean, those details add up to a really good team. It, it does. And, and another detail, I mean, this year they don't have three separate left-right pairs, right? They have one that's left-left, and it's going to be that, you know, unless, unless Friedman were to work his way into the starting six, but it'll be, you know, uh, if it's Provorov, Braun, Sanheim, and Myers, that's two left-right. Yeah. That's a big detail too, just because totally. when you have a, a when you have a defenseman playing, you know, his, his offside, a he has to play pucks in the backhand up the wall, yep, which is you know harder to harder to execute, and b when he's carrying the puck, he exposes the puck over the middle, and that's yeah. uh, you know that that and good good forechecking team can take advantage of that. That's why it is helpful to have left right when you're able when you're able to do that. Yeah, what, and for people that don't know what that means, Bill, when you expose the puck over the middle, it means you don't carry the puck board side. Right. You're carrying the puck to the middle of the ice. So, and, and, so, for example, a left-handed shot like Eric Gustafson is carrying the puck up the right side, pucks in the middle of the ice, not on the right side, uh, on board side. But And then the other part is, you know, the one guy that you have that will play the right side uh, had a lot of success playing the right side as a left-handed shot in, in Eric Gustafson. He, he's looked... Um, and camp to me like a guy that uh, maybe is a little bit more skilled than I even thought. Some of his ability to distribute the puck and see the ice offensively has been pretty impressive. Yeah, that's uh, he's gonna he triggers a lot of transition rushes. He really does. Um, yeah. You know, he he's really really aggressive at looking for stretch passes, and uh, you know he'll hit the guy most of the time too. You know, sometimes you know sometimes we'll take risks that I mean as all offensive fence defensemen often tend to do but but I, I think that in the offensive side of the game and the other thing too is that even though he doesn't have like bosses big you know heavy one-timer he puts pucks on the net pretty consistently yeah. you know um and that, that's more important than how hard to shoot it necessarily anyway i i think that uh you know he's he's going to he's going to help the team put up some points particularly particularly if he is in a third pairing kind of a role he'll have a little bit easier of defensive matchup so that's uh you know, that's a uh, that'd be beneficial to him, I think. A good partner for him too. A guy that's, you know, even though, you know, before he got to the NHL was an offensive defenseman in Robert Haig, but he knows his role in the NHL is to be a big physical body, clear the crease, um, you know, instill a little bit of fear in the opposition by being able to make open ice checks and, and be, you know, strong along the boards, and he's done that. So that could that could be another good situation uh, where both could prevail. Uh, Bill, is there anything that you come out of camp? kind of worrying about well i i you know we were just talking about the defense you know i um you know i, I listen matt niskanen is a hard player to replace yeah you know uh just in terms of being able to settle things down when it gets chaotic you know in terms of the number of minutes he played every situation in the game 
if he had a bad a bad shift, if he had a bad game, never worried about a carryover. You know, he he set a, he set a tone for that entire blue line, and uh, that's just very very hard to replace. That that's my concern with the team. It's just yeah. the uh, you know, the blue line coming together for the long term, and you know, I think for the Flyers' success, no matter what pairing they're playing on, I mean, they're, they're still together at this point. The Flyers need Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers to take the next step and not just play at a high level sometimes, but play at that high le- higher level consistency. That is a big key to me for the Flyers to take that next step for me. You know, that contend a big group of, you know, teams that you can imagine scenarios where they can make a deep run to being a team that, you know, to me, to me, be one of the favorites. If those two can take a jump and overall continue to develop, then I think you can, you know, uh, they can account for the departure of Niskan. But until they show that, that that's a question. And with consistency, like you right. said. Absolutely. It's a great point. And, and if they are able to do that, the stress that they will put on opponents up and down their lineup will be pronounced. And that is what ultimately has ultimate success in the sport. Without question. Yeah, I, I look at the whole thing, and look, we're talking about all the positives here, and there's there's a lot to talk about, and rightfully so. Uh, but th- if there is some concerns, you know, replacing Matt Niskanen is not easy. And the leadership that he brought, and maybe his job was to just come here for a year and show some younger guys the way, right, how it's done, uh, all said and done, that may be the case. Um, but the other thing, too, is, and, and I want to wrap up with this, is in talking to, to Eric Gustafson, I, I enjoyed my conversation with him a couple episodes on Flyers Daily so much because he's a new guy. As we came to camp, I think we were talking about it one day when we were out of camp going, but this feels like last year. It's all the same players, except Gus is just, he's here and Matt Niskanen's not. It felt very familiar. And the one thing that Eric Gustafson said, Kevin Hayes talked about it last year uh, when he first came here as well, is that, Every day is a riot. They're have, I mean, they, they're, you know, they're chirping each other, they're breaking each other's stones. But the one thing that Gus said is, you know, there's never a day I go to the rink where I don't end up laughing out of hilarity. But everybody is so pros too, and they want to win. the The tension is not there because the group has fun, but they also know when to be serious and when to work. And to me, you've been in locker rooms for a long time, Bill, as have I. And I think that that is something that cannot be understated. I think that that element of a group that really has fun together cuts tension. And they're going to need that in a 56-game season in 116 days. You're going to need that. Guys are going to get on each other's nerves from time to time. Absolutely. That's going to happen. But when you have that, I mean, you got the the combination of Michael Roffel and Scott Lawton, who are a comedy show, right? And, and you got guys like Jake Voracek, who is just – at this point in his career, just so aloof, right? And you have and, and Claude's a guy who can chirp it up as well. And James Van Reem. I mean, you have so many of these guys and personalities that I don't think that part can look. There's no stat that measures it, but to me, it's of paramount importance to have that and to be able to cut tension. And I think that only can be a good thing for a team, especially with a head coach that preaches accountability and the way he does. I think it's the perfect combination. No, absolutely. You know, and, and I mean, it, it does start with the head coach. Vino's a very fun-loving guy away from the ice. I mean, he's, he's pretty funny in his own right. Yeah. But he pushes the players hard and he demands accountability, you know, and they, they players know that coming to the rink, you know, and they also know it's never personal. If he, if he pushes them, it's not because he doesn't like them. It's strictly hockey. Um, 
you know, but as with the group itself, and of course, the one guy you didn't mention, of course, was Kevin Hayes. Yeah. And Kevin Hayes keeps everybody laughing and, oh. you know, but knows when to be serious, too. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that that's been a big addition to the team. I, I think I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head because um, players when players love to come to the rink every day, you know, and they, they push each other. I mean, they needle each other, you know. And, and some, you know, sometimes you have to get hard and, 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 you know, like some of the conversations aren't, uh, aren't always the happiest of conversations, but they, but it's, it's the men accountability of each other. And I think, I think they have that on this team. You know, I, I think that um, it's funny, you know, uh, I remember, remember had a conversation several times, you know, with our old buddy, Chris Tarion. And he, I asked him what was the favorite team he played on in your years of the Flyers. And he's, and I expected him to say it was the mid nineties when the team was just, First thing the contender says it wasn't. It was that that ninety nine two thousand team that had Keith Jones and had uh, Luke Richardson and, and had Craig Berube on. And he said, "I love coming to the rink every single day." Yeah, you know, it, it was great a, group it was of a guys. Blast. Yeah, yep. it was a blast, and they, they were a really tight knit group. And it wasn't necessarily the best team the Flyers ever had in terms of record during his years and, and whatnot. It wasn't the most talented group necessarily, but they were the closest knit group. And this team has a little bit of that too, where it's a yeah, it's a it's a very tight group. So when that you combine uh, those two things. Yeah. Enjoy going to the rink because you enjoy the guys you're pl- you're playing with and the camaraderie that comes with it and winning. That that's all a whole different level. No um, question. The other thing too, and, and talking to Claude Giroux, and you hear that on tomorrow's episode, um, I brought up the where he dumped. I forget who it was. He checked over the boards in the second half of the scrimmage, I believe, on Wednesday. It was Wiley, I think. Was it yeah, it was Wyatt Wiley. Yeah. And and I asked him, I said, it seemed like the intensity level was ratcheting up every day. And by Wednesday you were, you had put uh, a young rookie over the boards and he said, Well, the only reason I did it is because Justin Braun cheated on his shootout attempt <laughs> and caught him from behind. And he wasn't happy with it. Yes. Yeah. He cross checked him in the corner too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but he said and there was a lot of talking out there and, and sometimes it's hard with the, you know, going against your teammates because there are so many characters on this team. But uh, I thought that was pretty funny that he said that, and you can hear that again in the full conversation coming up with tomorrow's episode. Well, Bill, uh, no more conjecture, no more anything. Uh, it all starts for real tomorrow. You'll be at the center tomorrow. I'll be at the center. We wish every fan was there with us tomorrow, uh, but we will be there with, the, with them in spirit as the uh, season gets underway. It's the day we've all been waiting for the – kickoff to the or the puck drop on the 2021 NHL season for the Philadelphia Flyers against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Bill, thanks for doing this, and we'll be talking a lot. My pleasure. That's the uh, latest episode of Flyers Daily. Again, Claude Giroux will join us on tomorrow's episode, and we'll talk to you on game day on Flyers Daily.